Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from Exodus how Moses wasn't the only person to know the importance of God's name, but Jacob knew it was important too. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. Hello, and I'd like to welcome you again to our study in the book of Exodus. Let's first of all look to God in prayer. Father, thank you so much for being a God who does not leave us nor forsake us. A God who does not leave us without, Lord, constantly speaking to us. Speak to our hearts today, we pray, as we open your book, the book of Exodus. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you follow along again as we look here in Exodus chapter 3 and start in verse 13. And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers hath sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. And God said moreover unto Moses, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob hath sent me unto you. This is my name forever. This is my memorial unto all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say unto them, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and of Isaac, And of Jacob appeared unto me, saying, I have surely visited you and seen that which is done to you in Egypt. And I have said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt unto the land of Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites unto a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, in our last study, we saw that Moses was not the only person who felt this imperative within him to know the name of God. What is his name? His name is a revelation of who he is. So in other words, Moses was not the only one that felt this thirst to know God and to know about him through his name. And we saw that during that momentous time when the name of Jacob was changed to Israel, what a time that was. And we can never exhaust This great time that happened in Genesis 32 when the name of Jacob was changed to Israel and when Jacob had this insatiable thirst to know God and to know his name. And so what we saw in our last study was that all of the urgency that flooded Jacob's soul to know the name of the man who was God came about because of one key decision that Jacob made at a very critical moment in his life. And that critical moment was the time when Jacob's eternal destiny was in the balance. And Jacob made that vital decision, that one key decision, which was vital in the sense that it was between life and death for him. It was a vital decision when Jacob made this decision when he was in excruciating pain, as we saw. Isn't that something? Isn't that really something when you think about it, that to see that Jacob made his all-important decision that made him Israel, that made him a prince with God when Jacob was in excruciating pain? That's something. And that split second, for Jacob it was a split second decision that he made this all-important turning point that all came about that determined his eternal destiny And it made Jacob a new man. Jacob became an Israel that was born at that time. Jacob became a new creature. 
when he became Israel, a new creature, and all that was memorialized by Jacob getting that all-new, important new name, new person, new birth, new name of Israel. And what was the vital decision that Jacob made? That critical moment was documented for us, and, and, and this is a very important part of the scriptures. And please turn to that in Genesis chapter 32. As we once again look at this, all important scriptures here, very important, not just for the Jewish people, which of course it is vitally important for the Jewish people because what we have here in Genesis 32 is the documentation of the all-important change that happened in Jacob, which is not just a documentation of history, but it is also a history which is prophecy. It happened, it will happen. It happened with a man, Jacob. It happened with the father of the Jewish people, Jacob. It will happen with the Jewish people as it's predicted in the book of Zechariah when they look on him whom they have pierced and mourn for him. And when they stop with the despising and rejecting of Jehovah Jesus and start with the worshiping of the Lord Jesus. Now, so follow along here in Genesis chapter 32 as we... Look at this passage and start in verse 24. And Jacob was left alone. Now, before we do that, let me just, first of all, read one very important scripture here, which is verse 7, which is really very important for the key to understanding of Genesis 32. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, and he divided the people that were with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into bands. Okay, now... That's very important to see the mindset of Jacob. He was in a state of great fear and great distress. Now we come to verse 24 in Genesis 32 and we read, And Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. Note that a man part, a man with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, in other words, this man. He touched the hollow of his thigh. In other words, the man touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh. And the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, this is the man speaking, let me go for the day breaketh. And he said, this is Jacob speaking, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. And he said unto him, this is the man speaking, what is thy name? And he said, Jacob, and he said, thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel, for as a prince hast thou power with God and with men and hast prevailed. And Jacob asked him and said, tell me, I pray thee, thy name. And he said, this is the man, wherefore is it that thou dost ask after my name? And he blessed him there. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel. For I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Now, we read this passage there, and it goes in a rapid succession. It's, and he said, and he said, and he said. And you have to follow, even as you can see that I got tripped up on following who's saying what, when. 
but it's and he said, and he said, and he said, and all of this is happening in a rapid succession, one right after the other. And these are very significant steps that are happening during this night that brought Jacob to become Israel. Very important for us to understand exactly what was happening, not just as a history of the people of God, of the Jewish people, but as an insight for us, as an insight for us, for all people to understand about man and about God and how it is that a man's life can be preserved. A man's life can be preserved for eternity, for all of eternity. So there are steps here that in which we see Jacob, a conniver, becoming a prince of God, a prince with God named Israel, which means prince with God. So here are these steps And these steps are very, very typical, and we want to slowly take them and dissect them from Genesis 32 here because they show us what happens when a person is brought from being a lost soul to a found soul. That's why it's so vitally important for us to study this in Genesis 8 in this rapid succession of events that happen that change so much. All right, now, first of all, we see here these words that we looked at, or that we're looking at here in Genesis 32, where it says, and there wrestled a man with him. That's what we see. So Jacob is all alone, and Jacob was left alone in verse 24, and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. So first thing we see is that Jacob was alone. He was all alone. He was, there was nobody with him. His wives were not with him. His, his sons, his family was not with him. His servants were not with him. Jacob was stripped of them all and he was all alone. He was left alone. That's important because when any person does business with God, and essentially there may be another person there who's helping them, but that person sort of eclipses into the background as that person really is doing business with God alone. He's there alone like Jacob was. And so we understand he was all alone. And he's wrestling in this intense struggle. I mean, we're brought into this scene, and what we're seeing is all we're told. It's just it's a, it's a surprise to us. I mean, you know, what do we read? We read Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. So many questions. Where did the man come from? Who was the man? How could he be wrestling with them? How could it have gone all night? Well, we're not told all of that, but we are told what we're told. And what we're told is that he was alone, and he was wrestling in an intense struggle, and at lasted until the breaking of the day. All night long, we are told, that Jacob wrestled with this man. And the person is called a man. It says a man. It means a man. He was a man. And yet Jacob knew that he was God. Because when it was all finished, this is a very important statement that Jacob made in verse 30 of Genesis 32, where he said, commenting on what happened when he was wrestling with the man, he said, I have seen God face to face. Jacob said he was God. Jacob meant he was was God, and he was God. The scriptures say this was a man. He meant he was a man. He was a man, and yet he was God. So this intense fight was with God who was a man. There's only one person who is God, who is a man. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. And this was an intense fight that lasted all night long. And it was a fight in which the opponents, Jacob and God, squared off. 
It was a fight in which the opponents, Jacob and God, eyed each other in this wrestling, this intense wrestle. It was an intense fight in which the opponents grabbed each other. It was an intense fight in which the opponents grunted as they struggled with each other and a night where they threw each other down as what would typically happen in a wrestle and with a great thuds landing on the ground. It was a night where each opponent had the sweat streaming down their faces. A struggle that went on to a point of exhaustion for all night long. Now, don't ask me all the details of how could God do this? How could God become a man? The scriptures say it happened. How could God be a man wrestling with Jacob all night long in the struggle? I don't know. The scriptures speak it. It's not for us to try to figure out what's not revealed to us. It's just for us to believe what is revealed to us. And what is revealed to us is that God became a man and wrestled with Jacob all night long. And it was a struggle which for the part of Jacob revealed a great determination in which Jacob was determined to not walk away with this wrestle until he got what he wanted. Jacob was in a struggle here, and this was a struggle, and it's important to see this as far as Jacob is concerned, of great frustration. He's really frustrated here. Jacob is really frustrated, and he's taking out all of his frustrations in this wrestling match. This wrestling match is not just a friendly let's wrestle together. For Jacob, his whole life is behind this wrestle, this struggle. And what he's doing is he's taking out his frustrations of how his life has turned out. And he's taking it, Jacob's had a life without God. Oh, he met God at Bethel, where there was a ladder that he dreamed and the angels were going up and down. And he made a a promise to God, you know, bravo, very nice for Jacob. He said, you know, if if you take good care of me, then I'll give you a tenth of everything that I have. You know, isn't that nice? He made a nice, nice gesture for God, gave God a tip so to speak. But really and truly, Jacob was out on his own life, on his own venture, with his own plans, with his own dreams, with his own visions, and they really didn't involve God at all. In other words, Jacob had a life without God. But life hadn't gone well for Jacob. Life had gone to a catastrophe with Jacob. Life had gone to one great disappointment, one great frustration, one great absolute mess in his life. And he's mad and he's angry at how his life has turned out without God. And he's frustrated and all these frustrations have come down to he's going to get even now with one night, all night wrestle with God. And he sees in God, his wrestling opponent there, that God has stood in the way of Jacob's plans to make a beautiful life without God. And now's Jacob's chance to vent his anger against God in this wrestle with God. Because Jacob sees in this one, in this one who has God become a man or God-man, the one who is, he sees in this one, he's, this is the one who's put all the obstacles in my life that have foiled my life plans, Jacob thinks. And now Jacob is thinking, I can get even. And I'm going to wrestle with all of my might just to show, I mean, if I die in the process, I'm going to show how frustrated I am. And he sees in this God-man, the one who is responsible for allowing Esau to come after him with 400 men to kill him because Esau wants to set the record straight and get even with Jacob for what he did to him and stole the birthright. And now's Jacob's chance to wrestle with God 
who has allowed Esau to come after him with 400 men. And Jacob has tried to make himself a self-made man. And Jacob has worked hard to build his self-made little empire. And Jacob sees God now as the one who has put thorns in his way. Thorns like Esau. Thorns like Laban. And Jacob's chance now is to get even with, the great, with this great wrestle against God. And this is a typical stage. A very typical stage when a person starts out as described in Isaiah 53, 6, where it says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. We all built our lives just like Frank Sinatra sung it. I did it my way. And we were proud of my way. And we were proud of what we did our way. And we were proud of our self-made life, like Jacob was. And Jacob could sit down in the evening and say, let me tell you what I've done. And like Eve in the garden, after she ate that forbidden fruit, and her eyes were opened, our eyes were opened in our life without God, as we finally realized that there's no such thing as the right way. The right way is my way. The right way is whatever the situation presents itself, and we adapt what is right according to the situation. We said, I should not follow what God or anyone tells me to do. I should follow what my heart leads me. I should follow because I'm going to go my own way. And we just became one more person when that happened, encompassed in the word all. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. We said, in our life without God, like Jacob, we don't need God. We don't need to turn to God's way. We'll turn to our own way. We'll turn everyone to our own way. And with this new freedom that we experienced along our way, we tasted tasted of what God had called sin. And we said, that tasted pretty good. Pretty good. I think I'll incorporate a little bit of that into my way. Why not? Because my way is the right way. And we had what Hebrews 11.25, we did what 11.20, Hebrews 11.25 says, that we enjoyed the pleasures of sin for a season. That's what it says. And the pleasures of sin are enjoyable for a season before the consequences hit. And with our new freedom of becoming a self-made man, we enjoyed some of those pleasures of sin. And we said, that was nice. That felt good. That was enjoyable. That was pretty good. And we incorporated some of those pleasurable sins into our way. And we said, it feels good to finally be free, to be a sheep that goes his own way. It's pleasurable. It's gratifying to finally turn to my own way. That was us. That was Jacob. And God looked at our lives and he said, iniquity, iniquity. And God looked at our lives and saw sheep going astray. But we didn't care what God looked at. We didn't care what God saw. We didn't care if God said it was iniquity. We just were busy building our self-made life free from God and apart from God. We had plans, we had hopes, we had visions, we had expectations for how our self-made life was going to turn out apart from God. But God loved us too much. He just loved us too much to let us go unhindered in a self-made life that would end in hell. So God brought into our lives, like he brought into Jacob's life, the Labans and the Esau's, 
And Jacob didn't like it, and we didn't like it either. And we were like Jacob in being frustrated with God for just not leaving us alone to have our good self-made life without God. And we have to remember how Jacob felt, and that was given to us. That's why I went back and read that in the beginning in verse 7 where it says, Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. And that's the way God brought us to a place of being greatly afraid and distressed. And in his fear and in his distress, Jacob blamed God for how his life turned out. And like Jacob, when our life without God hit the rocks and we were like Jacob, we were afraid and we were distressed and then we blamed God for how it all turned out. And Jacob thought about how Laban and how Esau in his life were like branches of thorns, like a branches of a thorn bush, the pricks, the thorns, and they stood in the way. I was trying to go down this narrow path and it was just grown over with branches. I turned around a corner and I saw branches of thorns and branches of pricks. And they were standing in my way of having the good life without God. And I looked at that and I got frustrated. And I said, I'll go through those branches. They won't stop me. And so just like Jacob tried to go through those branches and they hurt Jacob and they scratched Jacob and they tore Jacob and we felt the same way with the frustration and saying I'll just go straight through it into the thorns and they scratched us and pricked us and tore our skin. And Jacob and us, we got frustrated and then we turned like Jacob, like Paul and kicked against those thorns, kicked against those pricks. And just like when Paul and God looking down said to Paul in Acts 9.5, it's hard for thee to kick against those pricks. And it was hard for Jacob to kick against those pricks of Laban and Esau that stood in the way of his self-made life. And it was hard for Jacob to kick against those pricks that he wanted. He was so frustrated and he realized God has put those obstacles in my life. And so he's wrestling all night with God And he kicks against the pricks that God put in the way of his life. And the more we kicked, the more we got frustrated with God. Who put those things in the place in my way anyway? God did. God allowed them to be there. We were like Jacob, so frustrated that we're ready to wrestle with God all night like Jacob did. And that was the first phase in Jacob's journey to coming to God. Jacob laid it all out, and he was blaming God for putting those obstacles, those thorns in his way. And he was kicking against those thorns. And the more he kicked, the more he frustrated he got. That was the first phase in our journey to God. Blaming God for putting those thorns in our ways. Frustrated as we kicked against those thorns. Get out of my way, we said. As we kicked against those thorns, they only jabbed farther into us. And the first phase of blaming God and being frustrated is in those words of Genesis 32, 24. And Jacob was left alone and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. Then came the next phase in the next verse in verse 25. And what we see here in verse 25 is where it says, and when he saw that he could not prevail against him. That's the next part. Now, this is now the second phase, which basically means that Jacob was not winning the war. He was not winning the war against God. Really and truly, nobody wins a war against God. 
it's pretty sad, it's pretty pathetic when a person thinks, I'm going to fight God and I'm going to win this war. I'll build my own personal Tower of Babel and I will reach from the top of my Tower of Babel and I'll grab a hold of God's foot and I'll pull him off his throne. That's sad when a person actually thinks that. And Jacob had wrestled all night long and neither side was winning. Now from God's side, God saw that Jacob was not going to just give up. So we have the words from God's side in Genesis 32, 25. And when he saw, this is God, when he saw that he prevailed not against him, from Jacob's side, Jacob saw that he was not going to prevail against God either. And that's the second phase where Jacob realized he can't win a war against God. Such a brilliant genius that Jacob is. He realizes he can't win a war against God. And that's the second phase in our lives. Such brilliant geniuses we are when we finally realize we can't win the war against God. Join the Creation and Earth History Museum for our annual Museum Day celebration. Hi, I'm Tom Cantor, president of the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, and I'd like to invite you to Museum Day, Saturday, September 28th, at the Creation and Earth History Museum. Don't miss the grand opening of our new Kids Knee-High Exhibits. We will also feature a live wildlife show by Dan the Animal Man. Activities include a live performance from the cast and crew of Jonathan Park, along with the Jonathan Park Adventure Land, including rides, games, face painting, balloon artists, refreshments, raffles, and more. Special guest speakers, Ray Comfort, Dr. Gary Parker, Dr. John Morris, Dr. Randy Guliza, Russ Miller, and Dan Breeding. This event will help your family understand the importance and significance of the biblical record and how it affects our faith today. It's free, fun, family entertainment. Learn more online at creationsd.org. In addition to the website that Tom Cantor just mentioned, you can also call 1-800-247-3051, 1-800-247-3051 for more information or go to friendshipwithgod.org to download free copies of today's program, friendshipwithgod.org or 1-800-247-3051.